is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Wednesday, June 21st, 2023. And today will be better than yesterday. Sarah Abbott and Taylor Schwenk are working from back in Connecticut. I'm Buster Only, working from my home in Montana. And guys, it's the 19th birthday for my son, Jake, who is such a good person. He developed into such a good guy. Uh, I've never heard him criticize another kid. Think about that. His whole life, I've never heard him say anything bad about anybody else. Uh, I'm just in awe of his great heart. Uh, Tara, uh, Taylor, Sarah, how are you guys doing today? Doing great, Buster. That is, that's heartwarming to me that you have raised a child that you can be proud of where his head at and his ethics, his morals. But what do you think he's doing on it? He's, he's home from college, so it's not like he's having an at-college birthday. But what do you think he's doing that he's not telling you for his birthday? Anything? Uh, he's playing video games till about four, four or five o'clock in the morning. And by the way, his nice. favorite game is the show. He absolutely loves that. Uh, and I can't remember. I don't know if we've talked about this in the podcast, but I actually have our friend Boog Shambi, the legend, during his school year, because this is a game that Jake plays all the time. And if I get a sense like Jake might be playing a little bit more than I would like as the dad <laughs> who pays his tuition, I'll have Boog sent. I'll have Boog tape video notes to him. And, and he's like, hey, hey, big man, it's it's Boog. Uh, you know what? Uh, I hear you might be playing a little too much video games. How about a little time spending on accounting? Uh, that sort of thing. You know, he he's great about that. Someday when we have Boog on, I think I might play one of those for you guys. Oh, yeah, that's hilarious. Cool dad <laughs> move right there. Well, and Jake loves it because, like, I'm an idiot to Jake, but, like, Boog Shambi is an actual <laughs> star. And that gets him excited. All right. Uh, we heard from Perry Manassian, the general manager of the Angels yesterday, that the team is highly unlikely to trade Shohei Otani. This is not a shock. Uh, Manassian's quote, it's pretty self-explanatory with where we're at in the standings, uh, that they are very unlikely to trade Otani. As of this morning, they're in a position to make the playoffs. Even after losing last night, Otani was hitless. His hit streak came to an end. The game was dominated by the Dodgers' Clayton Kershaw. Season high, 105. He's at 102 right now. Pitch 103 to Velasquez. Grounded to Miguel Rojas, who flips it to second. Kershaw out of the jam. Yeah, so Clayton Kershaw was outstanding last night in L.A. wins the game. The Reds continue to roll on. Uh, they now have a 10-game winning streak after they beat the Rockies yesterday 8-6. to six. That's their longest winning streak since 2012. And, of course, Ellie De La Cruz had something to do with that. De La Cruz, opposite way. Profar back. Ellie De La Cruz, opposite way for home run number two. It's a 4-1 game. So I heard recently about how Ellie De La Cruz wrote in an autograph that he was the fastest player in the world. <laughs> and there was a sequence during the Reds game yesterday where that was evident because he effectively caused a Rockies pitcher to make three errors in one inning. Like the, the, the Rockies are throwing the ball all over the place, trying to catch up with Ellie De La Cruz as he beats out an infield single and then he steals second base and then he's, they try to pick him off at second and instead he steals third and then runs home. It was a lot of fun. The Reds continue to be a lot of fun. We're going to be talking about that with Jeff Passan coming up. The Red Sox and the Twins. Adam Duvall gave the Red Sox a lead in the top of the fourth. 
one one crush deep to center field back on it is castro at the warning track at the wall gone adam duvall launches his first home run since coming back off the injured list it's a big fly to straightaway center field and the red sox strike first they lead it one to nothing that from WEI, the Red Sox went on to win 10-4, to 4, and Adam Duvall be joining us later in the podcast. A great pitching matchup in Houston uh, on Tuesday night. Astros and Mets, Justin Verlander for the Mets pitching against Framber Valdez, his former teammate. And in the bottom of the third inning, Alex Bregman went deep. Here's the pitch. And that slug to left field. Pretty high, and it's gone! Three rows deep into the Landry's Crawford boxes. A two-run jack for Bregman. And it's 3-0 Astros. Houston on their way to a 4-2 win. That call from Sparksy. Steve Sparks, KBME, 790 AM. He is a regular listener to the podcast, and we thank him for that. Guardians and the A's. We talked earlier this season about how the Guardians consistently improve under Terry Francona over the course of the six-month season. And that seems to be the case again this year. They walked it off against Oakland in the bottom of the 10th. Swung on line to right field. Down the line it goes. Fair ball. Game winner. Walk-off win number four. Andre Simenez with an RBI single down the right field line. They'll mob him out at second base. And Cleveland starts the homestand with a 3-2 win. Sound from WTAM 1100. Orioles, Rays, and Aaron Hicks got the Orioles going in the top of the first. Top of the first. Pitch on the way. Well hit. Deep down the right field line. Way back. It is gone. Aaron Hicks dials it out. A three-run shot, and the Orioles have put up four in the first. That from WBAL. Baltimore wins that game 8-6, to six, and Hicks' former team, continues to have a need for outfield offense because Aaron Judge is still out. Now, Aaron Boone told reporters yesterday the Judge is improving. Uh, the quote is, I'm encouraged by what I'm seeing. He's been slowly doing better and able to do more things, but we do we do feel like hopefully that was the start of him really starting to make real progress. He hasn't started baseball activities. I'll say it again. The Yankees would be thrilled if he came back before the All-Star break. Their offense has been a real issue in Judge's absence. Last night, they faced the Mariners, and Billy McKinney gave them an injection of power in the bottom of the second. High drive, right field, going back Hernandez, turning, looking. See ya! A two-run home run for McKinney, and the Yankees are up 3 nothing. That from Michael Kay and the Yes Network, and that was it for the Yankees' offense. Three runs. And that was enough because Garrett Cole was dominant. Swing and a miss. And he strikes out the side. He has a long look for Caballero. You can see he wanted no part of that all day. And now he's pointing at the, the Seattle dugout as well. Swing and a miss. Five strikeouts in a row by the Yankee ace. There's a reference there for Michael Kay was Garrett Cole was having an issue with Caballero trying to slow down his timing and stepping out of the box and trying to delay the game. And Garrett Cole threw a fastball over his head to the backstop, basically to send a message. And Scott Service, the manager of the Mariners, apparently was yelling at Cole as when he as he went off the mound, wagging a finger, and Cole wagged his finger back. Uh, here was Cole after the game explaining the back and forth. 
not every day we see pointing at the other dugout and, and kind of shaking your finger there. Yeah, you know, their manager was uh, had some choice words for me coming off the field, and he was wagging his finger at me, so I wagged my finger at him. A strange ending to the game between the White Sox and the Rangers. It was six all, and then this happened. Swing and a base hit to left. Elvis coming around third. The throw by Jankowski is in time. They got him. We'll see if Pedro wants to challenge it, and he's already made the call. He's not even going to ask the video room. It was a bang-bang play. The Rangers are walking off the field. They're convinced that he was out. That was Len Casper on ESPN 1000. Yes, not only the White Sox challenged a safer out call, but they also challenged whether or not Jonah Heim, the catcher for the Rangers, was blocking home plate. And this is what happened. After review, the call on the field is overturned to a Bruce Bochy's he's livid, but he can't argue it. So they're calling Heim for violating the blocking rule, and the White Sox lead this game. Yeah, I was wrong. It wasn't a walk-off. It was in the bottom of the eighth. But the White Sox held on to beat Texas 7-6, and after the game, Bruce Bochy did not mince words. Those guys, I mean, they're they're not making a call. I get that. I just want to get clarification on on exactly what was called. I could hear and uh, and, and for that call to be made, it, I'm dumbfounded. It's absolutely one of the worst calls I've ever seen, uh, and and it was done by replay. I, I just don't get it. Uh, I, I don't care how many times they'll try to explain it. Uh, you you can't do that uh, in that situation. Uh, it, it's a shame. It's embarrassing, really. You thought he had a clear lane to the play. What oh. did you see on the play? Yeah, he, he, there was never any contact with the catcher. It's a sweet tag. I I, I don't get it. I, I really don't. I I just again I'm shocked. Uh, you know, uh, Jonah did a great job there. Um, you know, the throw took him to the left a little bit. Sweet tag. I, I I'm lost on this one. Uh, you know, that's that's a tough one to take. And that was after Bruce Bochy saw a replay. Now, I got some information from Major League Baseball. We're going to share that with Jeff Passon coming up. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, the Hoop Collective has a new episode out today talking to the newest Washington Wizard, Chris Paul. I'm sure he's thrilled about what has happened in his life. And, uh, you know, you can listen to Brian Windhorse, ask him about that and his brand new book uh, about his relationship with his grandfather. I was talking to uh, Jackson Jello, who produces that show. Sounds like a great interview. Check it out. The Hoop Collective with Brian Windhorse. Interview with Chris Paul. You can listen to that wherever you're listening to this podcast right now or on YouTube. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's code baseball. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Jeff Passon covers baseball for ESPN. Jeff, where are you today? I am in lovely suburban Kansas City right now, Buster. Very nice. Well, you're not in London. You're not in Omaha. So that, that's great. You get to be home because I know your, your life is going to be really crazy coming up uh, with the draft coming up, with the all-star events, and then the trade deadline after that. Uh, you, you, know, you and I will be uh, faint whispers with our families for a period of time. I'm really going to miss, of course, my wife and child, uh, <laughs> but my dog, like the, the dog gets more excited to see me when I come home after a long trip than anyone, which I don't know what that says about me, or, or maybe it just says I have a great dog. No, it means that uh, your kids are on the same trajectory as every, every other kid. Right. And I'll just give you a warning because mine, my son actually turns 19 today. My daughter's 23. It only gets worse, Jeff. And then when they get to about 22, that's when they begin to veer out of it. Like, Oh, you know, my parents aren't that bad. He's actually wasn't the worst. Exactly. All right. Uh, I want to start with that call that ended the game between the White Sox and the Rangers last night, which left Bruce Bochy, out there at home plate, you could see that he was a little bit torn because he's arguing with the umpires who are on the field knowing that the call was actually made back in New York, and he was just totally perplexed. I mean, this is someone, Jeff, who is at the heart of the change of the home plate collision rules because he was managed Buster Posey, and after the game, he talked about how it was just a terrible call in his eyes and, you know, I got some information from Major League Baseball this morning. Uh, this is what I you know, received from them. The replay official was Ryan Blakeney. And after reviewing all relevant angles, the replay official definitively determined, definitively determined the catcher was in violation of the home plate collision rule. The catcher's initial positioning was illegal and his subsequent actions, while not in possession of the ball, hindered and impeded the runner's path to home plate. The call course was overturned and Jeff I gotta say I I think it might be one of the worst calls I've ever seen since covering <laughs> baseball because it was done through replay I don't know how you can watch that play through replay and land there what about you well sir I, I look at the interpretation of rules like this as being a very technocratic thing for a very technocratic group of people like umpires if you give umpires something that has nuance in it, 
they struggle with nuance. It's a black and white job. It's a ball or a strike. Uh, it's safe or out. And in this case, the nuance to me was very simple. It was the view from down the third baseline toward home plate where Jonah Heim was standing, where you, me, and anybody else who has vision could see a large chunk of home plate readily available for Elvis Andrews to touch. Like if Elvis Andrews wanted to go in foot first, he could have hit that and would not have touched Jonah Heim. He went in head first and did not touch Jonah Heim. Um, it was a terrible call. And Bruce Bochy, who not only managed Buster Posey when this rule got put into place, but also was a catcher himself for a decade plus in the big leagues, knows what should and should be right at that position better than anybody. And umpires sometimes just need to have feel, man. And Ryan Blakeney had no feel in this situation because this was much more a letter of the law call than it was a spirit of the law. And in this case, you need to abide by the spirit of the law, which is that if Jonah Heim doesn't give Elvis Andrews anything to slide into, yeah, you can call a violation there, but where he was positioned and what it looked like, uh, the only thing I could think of is that Elvis Andrews had to change his path. If you look, he does sort of a little Euro step to go on the inside of home plate as opposed to the outside when he was winding the path around third base. And for that, in that situation, no less to be the call, uh, was just a, it was a mockery of the rule. Yeah. At no point was Jonah Himes foot or knee in front of home plate. There was always a place to which uh, Elvis Andrews would have had access. Yep. I always love to hear from the fans' perspective, Taylor, Sarah. Uh, you guys love to hear your perspective on this uh, when you saw the replay. It was wrong, Buster. They did a bad job. Not great. Not a great <laughs> night for the umpires. It's unfortunate, too. I mean, I feel like the umpires are, are getting a... They're get, I don't know, a raw deal is the way to put it, but they're, they're catching a lot of flack for, for bad calls, bad strike zones, a lot of people, you know, demanding accountability. You know, I, I don't know how that is resolved, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it hasn't been a great year for umpires. Uh, I would disagree with you. I, I think it's probably been more of a typical year. Like we, we focus a lot uh, on calls like this and that might take some tension away. I actually think the young umpires do a great job on balls and strikes. Sarah, uh, what do you think? Tough. Very, very tough call. Tough look. And like Taylor mentioned, this year's already been rough for umpires, and this definitely did not help. All right. Uh, yesterday, Jeff, we heard from Perry Manassian, uh, general manager for the Angels, sang out loud, which I, I think we all knew from the time that uh, Artie Moreno did that interview with Sports Illustrated in spring training and said, look, if we're in contention, we're not going to trade Otani. And not only they're in contention and maybe have the best chance to make the playoffs since 2014, but uh, as of this morning, they actually would make the playoffs. They're right in the mix with a flawed Yankee team struggling without Aaron Judge, a flawed Astros team struggling without Jordan Alvarez. And, and I think, you know, as we get close to the deadline, when we talk about teams looking to upgrade, I would expect that the Angels might be one of the most aggressive teams in trying to, to add and trying to make the playoffs. What would you make of all that from Perry yesterday? Let's not forget, Buster, this is a flawed Angels team too. 
So it's not like we're talking about a world beater here, but I think your instincts are absolutely correct. And here's why, because Perry Manassian has been running this team all season long with the sort of sense of urgency that I think fan bases would love from their general manager and owner. Um, Zach Neto being called up after like 50 games in the minor leagues. Um, you know, you don't see somebody make the ascent as quickly as Zach Neto did, followed by Ben Joyce, who's now hurt, but Ben Joyce jumping up from double A where he was uh, aggressively promoted to begin with. And it seems like almost everything the Angels have been doing over the last year plus has been positioned towards saying to Shohei Otani, don't forget us. We're, we're still here. Like, I know we've been terrible every year since you've been in the United States and in Major League Baseball, but we're trying. And the way that they're trying and the way that they're succeeding this season, Buster, it's really interesting. The, the big strength of the Los Angeles Angels, especially lately, uh, has been their bullpen. Like, Carlos Estevez is having a spectacular borderline all-star year. Uh, Matt Moore has been a fantastic free agent signing. Uh, Another reliever who's done well, who got promoted pretty aggressively, Sam Bachman. And, uh, you know, Jacob Webb has has been kind of a revelation in his short stints. The, The Angels right now are doing their very best to say to Shohei Otani, hey, we may not have the pedigree of the Dodgers, We may not have the money of the Mets, but what we have for you is home. And what we're showing you is that winning matters to us too, even if we haven't done a whole lot of it in the last half decade. I was on the radio show this morning and they asked me the chances that Otani returns the Angels as a free agent. And and I know what they wanted to hear was zero. Like he's definitely signing with the other teams yet, but you know, and I know uh, that, Folks within that organization talk about, and folks who know Otani talk about how he's a creature of habit, right? He lives in a place that's the closest to the ballpark. He walks to the ballpark on a daily basis. And if the Angels demonstrate they can be competitive and they're in the same stratosphere financially to what the Mets or the Padres or the Dodgers offer, I'm not ruling it out because he's already shocked us once with his choices. And and if we look at history, Buster, and I think this is a really important, Important contextual point for what's about to come this winter. We look at history. Shohei Otani could have waited until he was 25 years old to come to MLB. Um, he originally signed for pennies, you know, a couple million dollars. If he had just waited two years, you could have multiplied that by a hundred, and he would have right. gotten that. So that's instance number one in which money wasn't the greatest priority. Instance number two, his first time through arbitration, he signed a two-year deal and uh, lost a ton of money. Granted, he was coming off a bad year, so maybe the instinct was there. But even this past year, rather than go into the arbitration system and challenge the record, uh, you know, not just beating the record for a single season, but absolutely smashing it, 
he signed a $30 million deal, which is a lot of money, which is the biggest raise ever, which is all sorts of uh, wonderful things for him, but it's not what it could have been financially. So he has demonstrated a pattern that says not that money isn't important, just that it's not the most important. And I, I think he's, you know, he's a pretty hard guy to read. But when you see a pattern like that, you, you can't discount it. And I think you would agree with me on this. He's got an autonomy within the Angels organization. Yes. That he is yes. not going to have any place else. If he signs with the, you know, with the Dodgers, um, you know, they've got Freddie Freeman. They've got Mookie Betts. They've got other stars on that team. They're not going to constantly defer to Otani in the way that the Angels do. Um, well, you know, the, 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 only, the only thing I could think there is usually when it's trouble that guys – are getting preferential treatment, um, they're not as good as Shohei Otani. So right. if if you're Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman and you're told, hey, Shohei needs to do this in order to, to be ready for the game, in order to play, in order to stay healthy, you almost have to be like, okay, Shohei can do whatever he wants. He deserves his own set of rules because he has created his own position in this modern game. Yeah. Uh, and I was going to mention too, he certainly would not get that in New York because of the media. No, like he, no, he would not. There would not be, they would not, uh, the New York media would make a huge deal. Uh, I know this having from worked there for years. If Otani did not make himself available in the way that he doesn't out in Anaheim, it would be a big deal and it would be a big story. And if he was struggling, it would become uh, a thing. So it would be completely different. Uh, all right. So the Cincinnati Reds last night, they win again. <laughs> to me, it's really strange to say. I think they're the easiest choice among the, you know, this in the six divisions of who's going to come through it. The way they're playing, the energy level, and I know you saw them recently. You don't think Atlanta? No, I, I still think there might be a run from the Phillies. I don't see a team in the National League Central that could keep pace with the Reds. That's interesting. I have you seen the Reds starting pitching? Uh, yeah, <laughs> like that's that's the that's the only. And have you seen the Reds bullpen actually? Like I, when when they were in town, uh, I was like, you know, I was talking with someone with the organization. I was like, so be you know, beyond Alexis Diaz, like who do I need to keep an eye on in the bullpen? And when the answer is Buck Farmer, and listen, Buck Farmer's having a really good year. But if Buck Farmer is your second best reliever, you need bullpen help. And, it, you know, there, there might be an argument right now, Buster, that, yeah, I mean, is, is Andrew Abbott the, the Reds' best pitcher right now? I know he's had all of two starts in the big leagues, but, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, uh, Hunter, Hunter Green's numbers are pretty, but, you know, he's a five-inning starter. Um, there, there's just, you know, like Nick Lodolo's hurt and gave up 10 home runs, I think, in 30 innings. Like, there are... You know, there are weaknesses with this Reds team, too, where I'm not going to anoint them yet. But I will say this. That clubhouse has really good energy. And I'm not sitting here trying to be mystical or spiritual or saying that there were all sorts of chakra crystals floating around the place that make it great. You just know when there's a group of young players together, that feeling that they give off when they're starting to understand that they can do this at the big league level. That's what the Reds have. And they have a 
ton of talent on the offensive side. And did you happen to catch Joey Votto's uh, post-game conversation with Scott Van Pelt? Oh, yeah. Yep. It, it, it was awesome and I think speaks to, to who Joey Votto is and what he means to this organization. And even he is excited about Ellie De La Cruz and Matt McClain and Spencer Steer. Like the, the rookies that are on this team, we have a chance to look back, Buster, at this season and see this as like one of the all-time great groups of rookies. I really do think that. I, I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say that because it's just a ton of position-playing talent that Nick Crawl and Sam Grossman in Cincinnati have put together and it's awesome to behold because they are all so talented and such different players and yet they're melding together and in a very 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 but not as weak as the AL Central weak NL Central division um they uh, 100% they could win it uh I don't think they're going to run away with it though unless they add pitching it's apples to oranges to some degree because of the experience of the roster, but the, the Reds remind me a little bit of the Phillies, you know, in the postseason last year with this is great collective feel the, to Yes. To the Reds remind the Reds remind me of the Orioles. That's what I see when I look at them because they yeah. have all this young position playing talent and okay, what are we gonna do about the pitching? Like, where is that gonna come from? And uh, Joey Votto in his first game back, he reminded me of Albert last year. Like we just assumed awesome. Albert with the Cardinals was going to be oh, yeah. like this little part-time fringy player. And by the end, the other, the, the energy that team lifted Albert up and he, he responded to that. Uh, we got about four minutes left. I want to ask you, uh, I started work on a piece in a file later today about the Yankees and their need for offensive help. Uh, just calling around yesterday, a lot of confirmation of what we expect before the deadline, there are not a lot of players available right now, and part of that is because the mediocre, the mediocrity of the of the central divisions, right? If you're uh, the Chicago White Sox, there's no reason why you would declare yourself right now as a seller. If you're in the National League Central, there's not a reason at the moment. If you're the Cubs, to declare yourself as a seller, yeah. so I don't think there are a lot of opportunities for the Yankees to go and get David Justice, like as they did in 2000. A hundred percent. You're you're absolutely right. Let's just go division by division here. Every team in the AL Central is at least four games over 500. None of them are selling right now. American League Central, every team is under 500. But the White Sox at 11 games under 500 are only four and a half back. The Tigers at 10 games under 500 are only four back. These are teams with the worst, some of the worst run differentials in baseball. And they're right there in this abomination of a division. Um, even in the American League West, a team like Seattle came into this year with enormous hopes of contending. Are they really going to punt? Maybe. But I think it's going to take a while for that to happen, for them to say so. Um, the, the National League East, the team that's in fourth place right now is the most expensive team in the history of baseball. Uh, would the Mets really deign to sell? The the Phillies were in the World Series last year. Like, they were two games away from winning. Are they really going to sell? No, probably not. And then we go to the uh, to the NL Central. And, uh, I mean, it's just like you said. The, the Cardinals are in last place. 
They have stunk until recently when maybe they figured it out. And if they figured a little something out, then, uh, you know, they're only eight games back. It's like the only teams right now, Buster, you can say definitively, definitively are selling are the Colorado Rockies, the Washington Nationals, the Oakland A's, and the Kansas City Royals. Four of 30. That's bonkers that we don't have more clarity right now than that. So a name that I did uh, in talking with executives of other teams sort of dig out is, is an intriguing name when we talk about the Yankees uh, is that of Cody Bellinger. And I'm curious about your sure. thoughts on this. Uh, look, the, the Cubs, remember, their standard is not just to make the playoffs. Their standard, I think, is their bar has been raised because they won the World Series in 2016. Jed Hoyer, head of baseball operations, he's creative. And I, I look at them with Cody Bellinger where they could basically take him out of the marketplace because they yeah. do have some surplus among their outfielders. He signed on a one-year deal, and they can say, look, he can give him a qualifying offer, which seems like a slam dunk given how he's performed so far this year. We can give him a qualifying offer. And if somebody is willing to give us more than that, then, you know, we'll listen. And I think for the Yankees, he'd be an interesting guy uh, because of his experience, because you know that, you know, Brian Cashman values defense in the outfield. But to me, the Yankees, if they can do something like that, they need to. Because it's pretty clear without Aaron Judge in the field, and they really have no idea when he's going to come back, they need some help. What do you think? Let me tell you, Buster, the Yankees have a great recent history of trading for outfielders at the deadline. (laughs) 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 Joey Gallo, Andrew Benintendi, like it, it, they almost deserve for one to go right because the other two have gone so wrong recently. Yeah. Um, Right. I, Look, I I think Cody Bellinger's defense is magnificent. And the fact that uh, you could potentially see him in an outfield with Harrison Bader um, and and Aaron Judge, that's one hell of a defensive outfield. But I just don't know if the Yankees need to add more strikeouts to the lineup. And Cody Bellinger still does that a lot. But it's it's almost like when when you're shopping, you know, from from a like, let's say you go to the farmer's market, you know, you go to a farmer's market that has 30 stands and uh, you feel good. You can go around, you can compare vegetables. You can look for the ones that look the best. When you're shopping at a farmer's market with four sad carts that just have like rotten produce on them. And uh, you find like one nice tomato that doesn't have a black spot on it. You'll pay like 20 bucks for that tomato. And Cody Bellinger might be that tomato right now. All right. I, I, I did not expect you to go to a farmer's, uh, a farmer's market comparison, but that definitely uh, something that, uh, you know, I can relate to. All right, Jeff, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me, Buster. Appreciate it. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes. The clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. 
So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com and also the star of MLB Network this week because they're covering the draft combine. Sarah, what's that like? I'm not the star. Hello, Buster. Thank you for having me. But it's wonderful. We're out here in Phoenix, and uh, we get to see all the future stars. They're doing drills on the field, taking BP, throwing bullpen. It's a great atmosphere, and it's so much fun to see these kids. I mean, you know, some of them are adults already, college kids, what have you. But it's great to see them so eager and so talented. So it's really, really fun. So give me a, a, a stat cast metric that has been generated in this that jumped out at you. You're like, whoa, you know, keep an eye on this guy. Absolutely. So Kemp Alderman, who is a uh, Ole Miss baseball player, hit a ball 111.4 miles an hour off the bat yesterday, 443 feet into the uh, stands there at Chase Field. And that was like, oh, my goodness. But then, of course, he was interviewed after it. And he had a home run during the season that was tracked at like 486 feet. So 443, wow. it's kind of chump change for him. But that definitely stood out. That was the uh, furthest ball we saw on Tuesday and the hardest hit ball. So that was really cool to see. And he had a couple others that were also pretty hard hit and far. And that's kind of my job on the broadcast is to put some context to all the numbers because it's awesome. We have these guys taking BP and throwing uh, bullpens and their stack going. But there's so many numbers, as you know, that doesn't mean that they're all digestible right in the moment. So my job is to kind of pick out which ones really matter and explain uh, the context, how they relate to MLB and what we should be uh, looking out for. So two quick follow-up questions on that. One, when is uh, the next time that you're going to be on the show or what time does the show begin? And second one, do you, as part of your contract with MLB Network, get your own trailer, okay, and demand, like, have food, a list of food demands? Oh, my goodness. I'm going to answer the second one first. Absolutely not. There are no demands. There is absolutely nothing but they're all wonderful, and it's great to be here. And to the first question, we're on air today, Wednesday, 3.30 Eastern, uh, 12.30 out here, Pacific Time, Mountain Time. And, uh, yeah, should be really fun. We've got a three-hour show, uh, plenty of pigeon and 
uh, hitters and also some really, really fun interviews. I am so impressed by all of these players. That is actually my biggest takeaway from all of this. And then keep turning to Jimmy Hollis, who does uh, prospect work for us at MLB.com. Even we had a 17-year-old shortstop on the uh, main set yesterday, and he was talking. Harold Reynolds compared him to Francisco Lindor in the way that he did media, in the way that he spoke. It is so impressive how well-spoken these players are. So tune in if you have time. It's really fun. Oh, I'm sure you're having an absolute blast. And I'm sure your mom is having an absolute blast because the Giants are rolling. Uh, yesterday, I did a show, Sarah, and they asked me about who's going to win the National League West. And I, I was like, look, I, you can go back and forth. I could argue the Diamondbacks because they're so athletic. You could argue the Dodgers because the recent pedigree, the assumption they'll probably make trades before the deadline. But the Giants, to me, are an intriguing pick because – they might have the most stability of any of those three teams. How's your mom feeling? He's feeling good. I mean, it's amazing. I texted her after the uh, Dodgers sweep, and I said, how are you feeling? And I got a list of nine issues she still had with the team. And I believe one of those texts involved wanting Juan Marshall to come back and join the rotation. She has some questions about pitching depth, which I agree with. But I do think they've shown a really good never-say-die attitude lately. They have won games, I mean, going back to their series in St. Louis recently, where they were down to their final strike, trailing by multiple runs. And so the fact that they have that belief seems to me really, really good. All right, let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is 12. So speaking of the Giants and that never-say-die attitude, yesterday, uh, Tuesday, was their 12th comeback win when trailing by multiple runs this season. That matches their total of comeback wins when trailing by at least two runs from all of 2022. They have won so many games where they have trailed by two, by three, by four. It really doesn't seem to matter. And that is just kind of an intangible that we see with teams sometimes. And they have really had that grow over these last few weeks. So certainly something to keep an eye on in that NL West. Number two. Number two is 64. So yesterday, Clayton Kershaw recorded his 64th career scoreless start of at least seven innings. That broke a tie with Don Sun for the most by any Dodger since 1900. And what's really stands out to me is that he didn't just throw seven scoreless. He threw seven scoreless with that seventh inning being really tenuous. He had runners on, nobody out, and he got out of it without allowing a run. That was uh, the one Tribio who covers the Dodgers from MLB.com tweeted that was the I'm a Hall of Famer kind of inning. I believe he had first and second, nobody out, 
nobody scored. And it was that moment Dave Roberts had that belief in him. You knew he wasn't going to get him. I'm sitting here waiting to tweet this, that, thinking, is it going to happen? Did I jinx it by typing it up? And lo and behold, he gets out of it, and he has his scoreless start. So that was vintage Kershaw. Number one. Number one is 975. That's Corbin Carroll's OPS. So that's mm. third in the majors behind only Shohei Otani and Jordan Alvarez. So he leads the National League. Listen to this. Only one rookie has led his league in OPS since 1900. It was Fred Lynn in 1975 when he became the first player to win Rookie of the Year an MVP in the same season. And I know Ronald Acuna Jr., far and away the NL MVP right now. Freddie Freeman, probably number two. But to me, Corman Carroll is the obvious number three right now. And the fact that this rookie, if the season ended today, would obviously win rookie of the year and then be top three in MVP is really, really impressive. And you never know as the season goes along, but he has been so outstanding for the Diamondbacks. All right, Sarah, before you go, I was talking with Jeff about how with the trade market, the way it's developing all the, you know, the, all the teams in the, in the centrals, the American league, national league, are so mediocre that it's going to limit the number of sellers, at least for a while. Uh, and my idea is I talked about what the Yankees might be able to do to sort of uh, jumpstart their offense. I, I think they should call the Cubs about Cody Bellinger, uh, who's on a one-year contract. Uh, you'd have to, in making a, a trade offer to the Cubs, you'd have to offset the value of the qualifying offer that they would get You know, if they keep Bellinger through the whole year. But I feel like that his experience uh, is in his defense and his power potential in Yankee Stadium is enough where I would take a shot at that. Because I, I, right now, when I watch their offense, it just seems so moribund. Like it just, I, I think they're going to need some help, especially because they don't know when Judge is going to come back. Are you co signing or are you thinking he's too much like Joey Gallo uh, for the Yankees to be aggressive? Well, and at my heart of hearts, I'm a romantic about baseball. So the idea of a father and son playing for the same team always stands out to me. The fact that he could, um, where his father, Clay Ballinger, played automatically I'm in. This also sounds to me a little bit like when the Cubs signed Jock Peterson back in 2021 and yeah. ended up training him to the Braves. He goes on to win the World Series with them. So I think it makes plenty of sense. And again, I don't know if it's obviously there's similarities to Joey Gallo with the swing and miss, but Cody Bellinger is a former MVP. We know that he has that potential there. So I think he's a player very much worth taking a chance on. And he did look really good in those first few weeks of the season before he got injured. So I think it's worth doing. I think that would be a really good bet. And I agree about the Yankees offense. I mean, we were texting about it, I guess, on Sunday with our game, but as of then, it was almost a run and a half difference 
with Judge in the lineup versus not this season for the Yankees. So I do think they'll have to do something. And I agree that the trade market is going to be very interesting. I mean, you know, the Reds have won 10 in a row and they didn't even get a number in the numbers game. I'll wait till they're at 11 or 12. Uh, but <laughs> that changes everything. And I think the Cubs could be a team that could end up selling with a guy like Bollinger. Yeah, strategically selling and certainly having conversations with other teams as well about uh, about Marcus Stroman, about the, the Yankees. With Judge in the lineup this year, 5.0 runs per game without, including last night's game, they're down to 3.4 runs per game. You know, it's pretty ugly. All right, Sarah, we'll talk to you on Friday. Thanks so much for having me, Buster. Adam Duvall is an outfielder with the Boston Red Sox, and he's teaming up with the American Diabetes Association and Lilly to launch a nationwide effort that aims to increase awareness of insulin affordability solutions for all people living with diabetes. And uh, Adam, you were diagnosed back in 2012. This is a couple of years after uh, you were drafted professionally. Tell me what, when you first got this information, uh, you know, what your reaction was. Uh, I mean, how, how difficult was that? Yeah. Um, you know, it was, uh, at first it was, it was a punch in the face. Um, you know, I really wasn't aware of, um, you know, what it was and the, the, uh, you know, the different things that come along with it. So, uh, I was in the middle of an off season where I felt, um, you know, really good going into it. And then I started losing a bunch of weight. I lost a bunch of energy. Um, you know, I was, having to wake up at nighttime to go pee all the time and uh, had really dry cotton mouth. And, you know, those were a lot of symptoms uh, for diabetes that I just wasn't aware of. So, um, you know, ended up getting to spring training, uh, having some blood, blood tests run and, um, you know, my A1C levels were elevated. So uh, that was kind of the uh, kickoff um, as being a type one diabetic. So, but from there it was, it was more so, okay, how am I going to deal with this? Um, you know, one, uh, just on a daily basis, but two, uh, how am I going to succeed throughout a season? And so it was a lot of, uh, there was a big learning curve. It was a lot of, uh, you know, how, learning how to count carbs, uh, you know, learning how to deal with it on a daily basis and um, just going forward with that. Based on the information you got like right away, how concerned are you that it was going to affect, you know, what, uh, playing baseball it for whatever reason I wasn't really concerned um with that aspect my mindset was okay I, I just need to learn as much as I can about it um and 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 for whatever reason I felt like I would be able to deal with it um you know maybe I didn't know how serious it was but um it was uh my mindset was okay how can I deal with it? What can I do so that I can succeed on the field? And, um, you know, I had a lot of help from trainers and strength coaches and, um, you know, kind of, kind of, uh, tailoring my workouts and, uh, my meal plans and different things like that. So, um, obviously I had a lot of help from, from those people. So how do you manage it now yeah, that that's, you know, more than 10 years ago when you were diagnosed on a day-to-day -day basis, how did, uh, how does it impact what you do and how you schedule your day? 
Yeah. So uh, now I, I deal with it a little different now than I did then um, as far as, you know, I have a pump um, and a, and a CGM now. Um, so I was on shots back then, but um, you know, just relying on that, obviously relying on the team around me, which strength coaches, trainers, um, you know, the meal prep uh, team and, you know, all of those resources I try and lean on to, uh, you know, help me on a daily basis. There's, certain foods that I can't eat before a game, um, that, you know, kind of spike my insulin level or my blood sugar levels. Um, and then I end up crashing. So those are the types of things that I try and communicate with the team and, uh, you know, they help me out, uh, you know, a ton. So tell me about this initiative you're doing, uh, tap the cap. Uh, what details can you give? Yeah. So, uh, I'm super excited about this, obviously living with diabetes and dealing with having to get insulin. Um, it's super important for me to try and spread this word and spread the awareness. Um, I'm partnering with Lily, um, in an effort to increase awareness of insulin affordability. Um, and, uh, we're doing a campaign right now. It's uh, hashtag tap the cap. Um, you can find the filter on Instagram and Facebook and, um, you know, it's a fun way to help spread the word. Um, and, you know, I encourage those even without diabetes to get on there and, and you know, have fun with it because there's a, a good chance that uh, someone you know um, or someone that's going to see it will uh, will have diabetes and and they just may need that uh, that program. So, um, you know, it's dear to my heart and, uh, you know, I'm excited to be partnering with Lily. So tell me about, I'm sure that during your time uh, in the big leagues, you run across a, a kid, a family, you know, a family uh, where they know your background uh, in having diabetes, that, that it really connected with you, you know, that conversation where maybe because of your situation, you help lend uh, more information, more hope for that family, for that kid. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I talk about one of the most, uh, the, one of the most gratifying things that I get out of baseball, um, is, uh, when I see a kid at the, at the field in the stands with diabetes and, um, something cool that we do, you know, they'll, they'll pull out their pump or, you know, show me their CGM and, and I'll pull out my pump. And it's kind of a fun way to, uh, you know, kind of, uh, be on a more personal level, um, with, especially kids. It really, um, you know, having two kids of my own, it's, uh, it really touches my heart because I want to, I want to be a good role model for them. And, um, you know, it, it, I think it's important that kids see, um, you know, people at the highest level that they can, you know, that they can do that and they can achieve, you know, whatever it is they want to achieve, um, and get to the highest level, wherever they want to get to. And, um, you know, for that, it's important for me to, you know, for them to see that and to be able to connect to, to them on that level. What type of questions will kids give you? Uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of it's like, you know, what do you eat pregame? Um, you know, how do you, uh, you know, how do you deal with it? Uh, you know, traveling uh, different time zones. And, um, you know, those are the types of questions. It's, uh, you know, I think it's just fun for them to be able to interact with someone that's dealing with the same thing. Um, and, you know, I always tell them it's, I know this isn't easy. Um, I, I know what you're going through. I know, uh, it's 24 uh, seven, never, uh, diabetes never shuts off. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it's definitely cool to be able to, to interact with those kids. 
All right, a few baseball questions before you go. Uh, if a team gets off to a slow start in April and May, you know, idiots like me will say, well, that team is done and maybe are they going <laughs> to trade? Are they going to buy? Are they going to sell? We love to jump on those stories early, but you lived it with the Braves in 2021, where and we saw with the Phillies in 2022, where they were in the hole, the, the Nationals in 2019. Now you have the Red Sox just uh, finishing off this great sweep of the Yankees. Uh, Tell me what sort of the feel among the players is right now uh, about where you guys are at. Yeah, I mean, obviously right now uh, the vibe is really good. Um, you know, I feel like at times during the season, you know, we hit well, but we didn't pitch well, or we, we, we pitched well, but we didn't hit well. And, you know, right now I feel like it's it's coming together as a whole. Um, and, uh, you know, like you said, in 21 with the Braves, it, it just came together at the right time. And I think – you know, this, it's about clicking at the right time. And, and, um, you know, right now is, is the right time. So, um, you know, I'm excited to see what we can do, uh, going down the road, um, and, and, uh, you know, kind of putting those pieces together, um, and playing together and playing, you know, good baseball all around. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just fun. It's fun when you're playing well and, um, you know, hopefully we can keep this going. So I covered the Yankees that won four World Series in five years in the late 90s. And I was amazed at how few players actually wore their championship ring. Your championship ring. Tell me when you pull it out. Do you pull it out very often? I pull it out certain occasions. Um, it's yeah, it's they've gotten so big, uh, honestly, <laughs> that it's like. You know, look at me, look at me. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, I'm not really that type of person. So, uh, I, uh, you know, special events, different baseball events that I go to, um, you know, I'll wear it because it is cool for people to, to be able to see that and try it on and, you know, kind of mess around with it. So, um, but they, yeah, they've become, uh, quite the, quite the eyepiece, you know, it's, it's, it's a celebration. It's not really an everyday, uh, everyday type of ring. Who was, last one for you, when you got that ring, who was a fun person to share that with for you, uh, you know, to, to hand it to them, for them to feel the weight of it, you know, to, yeah. to done? I think it was, it was my dad, um, you know, because, you know, all the, all the travel ball games and, you know, the long drives to Florida and, you know, all that, I feel like, uh, you know, he's been in this just as much as I have. And so, you know, be able to share that with him was pretty cool, pretty special. And, um, you know, I know he was excited about the whole thing and um, just be able to go through that with him was was pretty awesome. All right, Adam. Well, thanks for your time and good luck with his drive. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Bleacher Tweets. All righty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a Wednesday. Hillel Armbarn Kreef writes in mini reset for the Yankees. I know there are. I know there are all three wild cards, but I really don't see this team making it to the promised land. Get what you can for Torres, Sevi, Bader. There isn't much available for buyers this deadline. Maybe they can get uh, more bang for their buck back. Arm barn. I'm not co-signing that. I mean, as of this morning, they would make the playoffs. And did you think that the Atlanta Braves, with the worst record in the National League, were going to win the World Series in 2021? Did you think the Phillies last year, uh, Sarah Abbott's lifelong favorite team, that they were going to come within two wins of, may, of winning the World Series? No. If you, if you got a shot to make the playoffs, you take it. And I tell you what, you know, uh, Carlos Rodon threw yesterday. He continues to make progress. If they can get Judge healthy, 
and you have Garrett Cole and Carlos Rodon and you know the other guys in that rotation that lights out bullpen, which is the best in baseball so far this year. I'm taking a shot in the playoffs with that team. So no, I don't think uh, I don't think you're selling off. Taylor, you back me up on that? Yeah, they're not going to sell off, but I, I will say it really delighted me that we played uh, Aaron Hicks home run last night, and then you're like, the Yankees looking for a bat in the outfield. Hmm. <laughs> it was not a coincidence that I structured that in that way. <laughs> <laughs> I think the Yankees are paying him like $20 million, too, so it's the Aaron Hicks story. We should get him on the podcast. That is an interesting turn of events for him. Uh, let's go yep. to David Skaggs at David Skaggs 37. He writes, and why does it feel like Acuna is the only player taking advantage of the new stolen base rules? No, I think other players are. I, I just think we probably haven't talked about it enough. And the, and the stolen base attempt rate is up. Um, I can't remember if it's something in the range of 25 to 40% in, in that range. Uh, so I, I think there are other players who are d- taking advantage of it, including a guy with Oakland. Frank Bonfig writes in, Estuary Ruiz is stealing bases at a remarkable rate this year. Is he someone Oakland could look to deal to a contender? If I were the athletics and I, my internal evaluation was this guy's, uh, you know, an average, below average major leaguer, big picture. Yes, I would definitely try to take advantage of his value because of his base running skills. He is the most dynamic base stealer in the game this year. Dan Holland at Do Van Do writes in, have you seen an in-depth analysis on performance during the first year after signing a big contract? Are players more likely to underperform? He points to the Padres. It's human nature to temporarily lose your edge after reaching a big goal. I have not read specifically a team in-depth analysis on this, but I can tell you it's part of the question, you know, that people wonder, okay, if you give them the big money, will it stop the player's drive? Uh, And whether it's fair or not, and only Jacoby Ellsbury knows. I know there's a general perception within the Yankees organization that he was comfortable not playing in the last years of his contract, and it drove him crazy. <laughs> uh, good for him, I guess. Uh, Justin Simmons at Justin Lance Sim one writes, and everyone talks about the shortcomings of Verlander and Scherzer, but less about the Mets' lack of organizational depth. Cohen's money can't draft and develop the depth that teams like the Rays, Dodgers, Astros, and Braves have. That's and Justin, you're 100 right. And Justin and I went back and forth on Twitter about this on Tuesday. Uh, look, you know this was the the Mets' challenge as Steve took over the team. Their farm system was not in great shape. I actually think the strategy that they deployed was perfectly reasonable. You know, without that minor league depth, without that uh, you know steady pipeline of young pitching, they have tried to fill that in by signing accomplished veterans, paying a really high price. And I think there was a reasonable expectation for success. They won 101 games last year. You add Verlander coming off a Cy Young award. Uh, you didn't give him this big, massive contract. It was like, uh, in terms of the length of the contract, it was for a couple of years. You pay him well. I thought the strategy was good. I just It hasn't been executed. Keller, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And and like with the, like with the Yankees, like there's a lot of season left. Like, you know, these guys could definitely turn it around. Like Serger and Verlander can get on a roll very easily. I, I think the Yankees, the, the the Yankees fans, I think are right to be panicky, but I think the Mets fans less so. I think they should they should cool it a little bit. No, I think they're right to be panicky. They're they're uh, if you look at the standings, uh Taylor, as of this morning, they are six games out in the wild card, okay? Oh, yeah, they're like the, the National League's version of the Detroit Tigers Ooh. in where they are in the standings. So I, I, I get why there's panic, and I do think there's a lot of reason for concern. They're twenty six out of thirty teams in starter ERA. 
All right. I, I withdraw my opinion. You schooled me there, Buster. Okay. Ryan okay. Mayer, Ryan, our mayor, 151 writes in, did, did pushing the trade deadline back to the All-Star break depress trade talks, or is it just a weak market? Weak market, and it's because of how bad the National League and American League Central are and, and the fact that all those teams, as bad as they played, as Jeff was saying, the teams like the White Sox and say, you know what, we got a shot. Well, maybe this answers Corey Rukert's question. He writes, in any chance the Reds use up some of their prospect capital on a Dylan Cease deal looking likely the the, the White Sox are dealers? But maybe not. Maybe not. And Corey, I don't know if it's a done deal that the White Sox will sell. And the other thing, too, is that I, I would want to know, and I have not done a deep dive on this, what's going on with Dylan Cease? You know, at the begin first week of the season, Your we guy. talked about him being in the conversation. Yeah, my guy. Talked about him being in the conversation for the best pitcher in the planet, and he's got an ERA over four. You'd want to get the answers to that before you'd make that move. Indeed. All right. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter. Strong batch today. Let's make him strong again for Friday's episode. Yeah, 100%. That's it for today. My thanks to Adam Duvall, Sarah, Jeff, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color, something we need to fight against every single day. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.